Welcome to Season 5, Episode 10 of Engineering Heroes, a podcast that is presenting the new dawn of engineering challenges. My name is Melanie and my co-host and our podcast's resident engineer is Dominic DeJoya. Our guest received his degree in computer engineering from the University of Newcastle and a PhD degree from the University of Sydney. His current position is as a principal engineer at ResTech, taking a leadership role in providing consultancy services to industry and designing electronic equipment. He has carried out numerous investigations into earth fault limited power systems, including electric shock indices and the use of VSDs, covering the effect of circulating currents, touch potential and the impact on protection devices. His work at ResTech resulted in the patent for the detection of leakage of fault currents from equipment in an electrical power system and associated products. Our guest is a registered chartered engineer, fellow of Engineers Australia, and senior member of the IEEE. He also holds the position of conjoint senior lecturer at the University of Newcastle. Joining us today on Engineering Heroes is Dr Peter Stepien. Peter's father was a carpenter. He used to help his dad design and even make things. He saw his dad build furniture and even houses, and he was actually helping his dad build a house that they were going to live in when an electrician came to wire up the house, and Peter found himself intrigued by all the wiring, which led him into electronics and then computers. Instantly, my brother went down the path of being an electrician, so... I think we're both influenced by my father's work. <laughs> or, or the electrician. Or the electrician. Yeah, <laughs> his electrician right. seemed to have a very strong impact. So what was the first project that you worked on as an engineer? So the first project that I worked on was actually as an undergraduate engineer. So whilst doing my degree program, we have to do industrial experience. And I actually worked at a Raring Power Station, which is where I lived at the time. And I, and I think I was probably one of the only people who actually worked there that lived in Araring, because Araring is a very small town, it's not a very big town. And the work that I did there was on the Araring Power Station simulator. It was basically a simulator that was used to train operators to control a power station. As you can imagine, a power station is a very large, complex piece of machinery. I mean, at the time, the power station was controlled from two control rooms. Each control room controlled two units. So there's four units all together. And in the Raring Power Station Simulator, basically it was a simulation of half a control room, which controlled one unit. And the task that I was given whilst working there was to actually model the auxiliary cooling water system, which is a cooling water system that cools certain parts of the power station that are critical to the functioning of the power station. So it was a great experience because it allowed me to program in Fortran allowed me to interact with the engineers who were there. At the time, Toshiba were also commissioning the simulator, so we had engineers from, from Japan there. So I was able wow. to talk with them as well and gain from their experience, as well as from the engineers at the power station itself, which at the time was owned by the Electricity Commission of New South Wales. So I was very fortunate to be able to work there. And from the sounds of things, if you're working the cooling water system, it wouldn't have just been electrical, would it? It would have been dealing with all disciplines, particularly in regards to mechanical and hydraulic and services engineers. Is is that the case? That's absolutely right. And in fact, it was actually a a good introduction to my career in general and probably actually all engineers' careers. Whilst we tend to focus on one discipline while we're studying and training as an engineer, during our career, we actually cover a lot of different disciplines. Obviously, since we're not trained in certain areas, we have to ask others for, for some information. But 
for example, the distillery cooling water system, I had to model a circuit that included water flowing through valves, through pumps. So I had to get an appreciation for the, the mathematical models that describe how those pumps work. So whilst it was still like an electrical or computer engineering type discipline with regard to having to program in Fortran to actually create the model, it did require a broader knowledge of other engineering disciplines at the same time. So that was a while ago now. So whereabouts are you working nowadays? So now I'm actually working at a company called Restec, which is partly owned by Ampatrol and partly owned by University of Newcastle. So what sort of things do you do for Ampatrol or Restec? So a lot of my current uh, work is to do with electrical safety, and in particular looking at touch potentials in, in equipment used in the mining industry, particularly underground coal mine. It's a very arduous environment. It's very wet. We have equipment down there that's electrically powered. And of course, we want to make sure that people who are working in that environment are not going to get electric shock uh, when they're working on that equipment. And there has been tried and proven ways of doing electrical system to ensure that 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 doesn't actually happen. However, over the years, things have progressed. The voltages used have increased. And we've also are using now uh, variable speed drives to control motors. And that is actually a bit of a blessing in disguise because it actually makes it easier to control motors. But at the same time, it creates an additional hazard that wasn't there previously. So a lot of my work was looking at the effects of variable speed drives used in the mining environment and how we can actually control touch potential so that people don't get electrocuted. And do many people get electrocuted in mines? No, in fact, the mining industry is very safe with regard to electricity. In fact, there hasn't been a fatal electrocution for, it must be now, more than 30 years. So it's extremely safe. You're doing a good job then. <laughs> well, and, and I guess this, this is where we want to make sure that when new technology gets introduced into mines, like variable speed drives, that we make sure that we do identify hazards before they become a problem. So whilst the methods that are used at the moment that are in the current standards work well for the existing equipment, as we introduce new equipment into the mines, we have to make sure that we don't introduce hazards as well. So as part of my work is, is trying to understand what those hazards are and make sure that that doesn't actually become a problem. And this basically involves modelling these electrical systems to ensure that we are generating touch potentials that might execute somebody and also coming up with solutions where we might have, for example, a, a new protection device that can be used in the electrical system that will make the, the system uh, safer. We will be right back with more from Peter as he delves into his hot topic around electric shocks in the mining industry. Well, as far as the challenges in my field goes with regard to electrical safety in mines, I guess to me there's still some things that can be done with variable speed drives to make them safer. And in fact, this is some of the ongoing research uh, that's happening between Restec and the University of uh, Newcastle. We're actually looking at ways of designing the variable speed drives so the issue with them doesn't actually uh, occur in the first place because one of the main issues with variable speed drives is that they want to drive a high-frequency current back through the earth system. And generally, the earthing system is used to ensure that any metallic parts of the equipment remain at earth potential. However, with variable speed drives, we actually do have a high-frequency current flowing through these parts, which in the past would never, didn't actually happen. And this, this is one of the things that, for me, it's an outstanding issue. 
And in fact, if we can actually eliminate this high-frequency current flowing through the Earth path, we've actually solved a, a long-standing issue with variable speed drives. Do you find that it's easy to get engagement with the, the manufacturers in regards to doing these studies and, and looking into these issues? Yes, I find that both the OEMs and the end customers or the end users are very much um, on board with with safety. In fact, the mining regulators in the various states, they're very much committed to ensuring that we have a safe uh, working environment. And I guess the fact that we haven't had any fatal executions in the mining industry for a long period of testifies to that. So if... For example, I want to do a study and I'll need some information to be able to do that study. I find that everybody's actually quite willing to to help me in, in doing so, uh, which is really great to see. Um, it's really nice to work in the industry where everybody is so committed to safety. Can I just clarify? So you said something that in my head, it sounded like you said that the electricity to these plant is the big problem in the mines. And if you could fix that, that would make everything better is that is that or did i completely misunderstood something explain to me what a variable speed what was it called? a variable speed drive explain to me what a variable speed drive is again i'll try explaining again maybe yeah variable speed drives the way they operate they basically take in the normal power that we would normally reticulate as an input and they generate an output which is variable frequency and variable voltage and that basically allows you to connect a motor to the variable speed drive and have the motor run at different speeds. So as an example, a um, escalator in, in shopping centres these days will tend to slow down and speed up depending upon whether somebody's there or not. So if you see, for example, if nobody's using the escalator, it'll just be crawling along slowly just so that people would know that the escalator is actually working. But, you know, there's nobody on it, so why operate at full speed? And when somebody comes close to it, then it speeds up so they can traverse the, the escalator. Similar technology is used in the mining industry as well to control various pieces of plants. And similarly, for example, electric vehicles, we have a similar sort of system too where electric cars, where we we have a system where we have basically a a variable speed drive that controls the power to the wheels. And in the mining industry, they also use electric vehicles, but what they tend to do is they tend to have electric vehicles that are connected by very long trailing cables. These can be cables which can be 100, 200 metres long, that basically are reeled on a reel on the actual vehicle itself, and these then move through the mine powered effectively by a long extension cord. And this is one of the reasons why managing touch potentials, which is basically the voltage that you might feel if you were to touch a piece of plant, difficult in the mining environment because you have effectively no local earth to the machine. The earth is only provided via the trailing cable itself. So we use a technique which is basically an, an earth fault limited system which means that if you do get an electrical fault between one of the phase conductors and Earth, the current that flows is limited to a small amount, typically 5 amps or 2 amps. Whereas in a house, if you were to connect the power to Earth, you actually get a very large current that flows. So there's this big problem about variable speed drives in mines and having like a 200-metre extension cord, I mean, that's just crazy. I don't even like going from the garage to the front of the house, so I can't imagine how bad it would be in a mine. So what's something that engineers can do about this? What are engineers doing about this? To manage touch potentials for equipment that's powered by a trailing cable, there's a whole suite of devices that have worked together. And, in fact, these are described in Australian Standard 4871.1. And the devices that are used are described in AS2081. And basically, the way we ensure that we don't get 
hazardous touch potential on the equipment is to ensure that we actually have an earth conductor going from the supply, in other words, where the transformer is, to the vehicle itself. So we actually actively monitor that earth conductor to ensure that it's there and to ensure that it's actually a low impedance. So if for some reason that earth conductor was to break or become a high impedance, the equipment would be actually powered off to ensure that we don't get a, a hazardous touch potential. Now, of course, if there is a fault on the machine itself and we do get current now flowing back through that earth path, it's limited now to 5 amps or 2 amps. And since we are monitoring that earth conductor, we know what the impedance is, which means that we can then know what is the prospective touch potential is going to be. And the whole idea is that we want to basically turn the power off if that touch potential is there for too long. Is this something that you guys can already do or is that what you're saying is needing to be put in place or created? So what I just described about uh, managing touch potentials is what's actually already done now for traditional equipment. Okay, Variable speed drives add an extra level of complexity to the protection scheme in the fact that you have this high-frequency current flowing all the time. Okay, So you need to make sure that that, that touch potential that's caused by that high-frequency current is not too large. And also, when you do get an earth fault, as well as having the normal 50 hertz current that flows, you also have the high-frequency current that flows. You have to be able to manage that as well. And, and unfortunately, the high-frequency current wants to flow differently to what the low-frequency current flows, and this is due to cable capacitance or capacitance in the system, and this is what makes it a little bit more, more difficult. So this is why if we can create a variable-speed drive that doesn't generate these high-frequency earth currents, we can actually make it um, a lot safer. Yeah, no, it's um, a good direction to be moving in. <laughs> so just in regards to the future of engineering, what are your thoughts in, in the way that engineering is tracking and what are your thoughts on the future of engineering? Well, I think engineering is, is something that's going to continue on into the future. I don't see any sort of point in time when engineers won't be required. To think about where we got to now, I think without engineers, we wouldn't necessarily be where we are at the moment. And whilst there might be some issues with how things are done in the past and possibly now. Engineers are definitely very aware of you know, environmental factors and things like that. And, and it's nice to sort of see the, the new technologies that are coming about that are actually addressing these things. And to, I mean, to me, it makes it a very exciting time as well, because whilst it's nice to be able to design something based upon sound traditional principles, we're sort of in a, in a time now where things are, are changing quite a lot. So we have to actually be very innovative in what we do. In other words, engineers today are designing things that weren't designed 10 years ago. And in fact, when I do designs now, things that I do now are not the way they were done when I first graduated as well. Things have progressed so far. So quickly, everything's moving. And so what would you say to people just starting out in engineering? Well, I, I guess I like to find out whether they're really keen engineers or whether they sort of um, are thinking that maybe they might want to do engineers. So so if, if they're really keen engineers, I like to sort of find out what are they really keen about and try and sort of encourage them in, into areas that, you know, might be able to build upon that. So definitely, it's definitely encouragement for them. And those who maybe aren't so as determined maybe as, as others that maybe came across engineering as a possible afterthought, you know, I like to sort of maybe try and encourage them to continue down that path because obviously if they've looked at a wide range of things that they might do uh, and engineering did come up, there must be something in there that they like. And, and to me, I mean, engineering is a very rewarding career because 
at the end of the day, you actually build something, you actually design something. There's some some end result that you can actually look at. And whilst I do like science, um, I see engineering as being a, an applied science where you can take the knowledge of how things actually work and put them together to something that actually does work. It's it's nice to have that thought that you can leave your mark in regards to you know your your place in society. And we've talked about it before where there's so many engineers that walk around and they're poor children. It's like I did that. I worked on that. And, you know, I was involved in that. And, you know, then the story behind it as to why it is the way it is and how, you know, all the, the things that you had to overcome. Sure. I guess the only thing in a, in a field like electrical engineering or electrical and computer engineering is that things progress so fast that things that you design in the past become obsolete very quickly. And in fact, I've got a, a shelf here of things that I've worked on in the past that were cutting edge, that did the job well. And, and, they, and the customers are very happy with it, that are now basically obsolete sitting on the shelf. Even to the extent where I worked on some equipment at BHP Steelworks in Newcastle that solved the problem and it worked really well. But of course, the, the Steelworks closed down and that equipment is no longer required. So it's actually quite transitory. Whereas, whereas for example, I envy the civil engineers that, for example, build a bridge and that bridge is going to be there for a long time. Something that I might design now, you know, the technology progresses so fast, it might not be around in, you know, in, in 10, 20 years' time. <laughs> that's actually, that's very true. I mean, even when you were saying your first job, you were co- coding in Fortran, was it? Fortran. Fortran, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. And in fact, the Roaring uh, Power Station simulator that I worked on was no longer there anymore because basically that technology, that simulator was designed in, which is the same as the original control room in the power station is very old technology. If I was to sit down and describe what was actually used, you'd be you'd be quite amazed. However, now everything's been replaced by modern computers. And in fact, the two control rooms in the power station has been reduced to one control room that controls all four units. It's all basically, you know, flat panel screens that display information, whereas in the past, it was these beautiful mimic panels that basically had every valve, every connection, all laid out on this wall. So the wall in the control room was basically the power station. So it was actually quite nice and I really um, uh, in, enjoyed that. But of course, that's just not how it's done anymore now. Yeah, we've definitely come a long way from there. I suppose, and, and that segues perfectly into, is there a piece of engineering that impresses you? Well, I, I think for me, there's uh, there's a few things. First of all, in my field of engineering, the mobile phone has to be something that encapsulates all the things that I used to work on when I first graduated. And in fact, whilst I was a cadet electricity commission in New South Wales, when I worked at the at Newcastle University at the Centre for Industrial Control Science, my work involved in doing effectively embedded systems design, which is designing bits of intelligent equipment to do certain things. So this is like based around a microprocessor. And of course, things I did then are so different to the way things are done now. Basically, then I would have to have a large board with 20 chips on there, whereas down a mobile phone, everything's integrated effectively onto one or two very large devices. So the mobile phones, to me, is, is really quite quite nice. And things outside of my field, I mean, the, well, maybe not completely outside of my field, but I'm always impressed with aviation, with aircraft. I love to fly. And, you know, the, the way that modern aircraft are designed and built is really quite nice because it's actually a multidisciplinary endeavour. And also it's a safety critical system as well. These machines have to fly reliably. And if they do fail, they have to fail safely. I remember when I was, I think I might have still been at university or maybe after I graduated, I had the opportunity to actually sit in the cockpit of a 747 flying to New Zealand, which is absolutely amazing. You wouldn't be able to do it, do it now, unfortunately. 
wouldn't be able to. No, no, <laughs> no not at all. But yeah, but but back then they they used to ask the children if they wanted to go to the cockpit. And, you know, me as an adult engineer, I put my hand up anyway. And maybe they took pity on me. They probably thought, oh no, he's an engineer. But let him go up the front. But it was a very it was a very good experience, and it was actually quite nice to see you know see all the systems in the cockpit as well. So aeroplanes have been a real theme lately on the on the show. We've had quite a few Probably people so. that have really liked aeroplanes. So, and just to finish up, is there an engineer that you admire? So I probably don't actually have one historical engineering figure. I mean, I, I do, do like reading about all these historical people, uh, engineers and scientists that basically paved the way to what we have now. But there are two engineers that probably influenced my life. And one is uh, Professor Graham Goodwin, who employed me in the Central National Control Science at the University of Newcastle. Another one is uh, Peter Cockbane, who was one of the founders of Amp Control, which partially owns Restech, where I, where I currently work now. These two engineers are, are leaders in their field, and they've made their mark on the engineering landscape. And in fact, they're still doing so. I mean, they're both effectively uh, retired, but they're both, both still working. Professor Graham Goodwin at the University of Newcastle, and Peter Cockbane still involved with Amp Control. And coincidentally, whilst these two have employed me early in my career and now, I did actually meet both of them when I was in high school. My maths teacher encouraged me to enter a competition, which was at the time sponsored by Amp Control at the University of Newcastle. Well, she was sponsored by uh, Relic Science Technic, which was part of that group. And I was fortunate enough to win a prize. And when I came to university to accept the prize, I met both Professor Goodwin and Peter Bain there. So, and little did I know there as a, as a high school student that these two would actually employ me. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Did they remember you? I definitely, yeah, they, they do. In fact, I, I keep in contact with both of them still. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's great. These are, talk about people that have really impacted another person's engineer and career from for you from very much day one. So oh, they're great people to end on. Thank you for bringing them to our attention. You're very welcome. Then thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic Tajoya. You can view this episode's show notes and learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions.